Amen. Amen. Welcome, 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 welcome. We are on week six of our series that we have titled Connect the Dots. And we are fast approaching the end of this series, which we will be getting into the uh, New Testament today. So uh, let, me, uh, let me recap how we got here. My intention for this series, Connect the Dots, was for you to be able to tell someone who has never read the Bible, no one's ever heard the stories of the Bible, that you would be able to tell them what the story of the Bible is about in five minutes or less. Obviously, you can't get into the types and the shadows and Ezekiel's wheel inside of his wheel, and you can't get into the four horsemen of the apocalypse. But this story is much more simplistic than we make it sometimes. And when you're talking to someone in 2021 who has never heard the stories, you need to make it as simple as you can. They're not interested in prophecy most of the time. They're certainly not interested in, in Old Testament dogma and, and why the Jewish traditions end up the way that they do. We are interested in those things. But when you're trying to witness to someone, they just need to know how to be saved and how to stay that way. How to get to heaven and how to make it their eternal home. So I've been trying over the past uh, six weeks to give you instruction so that you will be able to tell someone who's never read this story, never, never heard the stories, how you could sum it up in less than five minutes. In week one, we, taught, we learned that God had a plan for man, but man messed it up. Why? Because they wanted to sin more than they wanted a closeness to God. Then in week two, Pastor Ryan taught us that even though we messed up God's plan with our sinful choices, God extended a promise to a man named Abraham that eventually was going to bring redemption to the whole world. Hmm? Then in week three, we saw that God began the process of redeeming his people. He brought them out of bondage, his people being the descendants of Abraham. He brought them out of Egypt, and he set them on a path where he was going to bless them. I'm going to say that again. He was going to bless them. Because we followed up the next week by learning that once they got into the promised land, once they got into the blessing, once they got what they asked God for, we learned that we often forget the God who gave it to us. When he's been real good to us, it's easy for us to forget that he was the one that gave it to us. And then we learned... Uh, we learned after that that there, was a, uh, that there was a tendency for us to fall away from God over and over and over again. God draws us back, and then we fall away, and God draws us back, and then we fall away. And last week, Pastor Lejean told us about the time of the prophets. Now, I taught you that the prophets were big yellow warning signs, just like the yellow lights at your uh, intersection, the prophets were spiritual warning lights. They were warning you that if you don't start listening to the commands and the warnings of the Lord, you're going to have bad things happen to you. Amen? There's going to be consequences. So we've covered a lot of themes of the Old Testament. And the Old Testament was preparing mankind for what was about to happen. And that is what I have the privilege to preach to you about this morning. I'm not going to be in the Gospels, but we're going to talk about the Gospels. I'm going to take my primary text out of Romans chapter 3, if you want to find that in your Bible. I did encourage you a few weeks ago to bring a real, actual, tangible Bible for this series. Uh, it's okay if you don't have one, because we'll have a big one on the wall. But I, I just I, I feel like sometimes if we touch the pages and we flip the, uh, and we make the notes and the margins, it means a little bit more to us. So far, we have covered about 4,000 years of history, and it's all been pointing us toward what's about to happen today, which is the arrival of Jesus. This event, that baby born in that manger, is so important, we actually designate history by what happened. When, when history is divided into two different uh, courses, the first course is always called B.C., which means before Christ. Now, I was taught when I was a little boy that A.D. meant after death, but it doesn't at all. 
A.D. actually means, it's a Latin term, Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. That simply means that Jesus being born changed everything. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Never before or since has one birth changed everything. But not only has the course of man's history been changed by this birth, but the course of human future is changed by this birth. The prophets warned that if Israel did not listen to the warnings, bad things were going to happen. But even when bad things happened, God always gave us hope. And that hope was born in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. God made flesh, and we're here today because hope was born. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Now, everybody in this room, I know some of you feel like you're ancient of days, but everybody in this room was born after Jesus. But if you were alive during the time that Jesus uh, was born or before, if you were a Jewish person in the Old Testament times, you kept hearing a rumor that there was a leader that was going to come. They called him a king. They called him a Messiah. And they said that he was going to come and he was going to rule. And 42 generations of Jewish people came and went, and they were kept looking for this Messiah. They, every time a young Jewish woman would get uh, pregnant and she would have a baby boy, she thought maybe this was the one. Maybe this was the Messiah. Maybe this was the ruler. This was the king of kings. Week after week, uh, we have saw a lot of sin taking place among God's people. And the consequences of sin is always what? Death. Sin always has a price tag attached to it. And that consequence is always death. Now, sin led people away from God, and sin kept making things worse and worse and worse. And maybe that's the story of your life. Maybe you look at the sins that you've committed and the choices that you've made, and when you think uh, that you're going to make things better, you end up making things worse because sin always takes you farther than you wanted to go, costs you more than you wanted to pay, and makes you do things you swore you would never do. Perhaps that's the testimony of someone under the sound of my voice this morning or someone watching by live stream, that you have thought you were making your life better, but you realize too late that the choices you made got you farther away from God instead of drawing you toward God. As a matter of fact, I want to put, not put you on the spot because this is not your story. This is humanity's story. Adam and Eve tried to fix their mistake by fashioning fig leaves together. Abraham tried to fix his mistake by sending Hagar and Ishmael out into the wilderness. David tried to fix his mistake by having Uriah the Hittite murdered. Samson tried to fix his mistake by killing a whole bunch of Philistines. And in the end, we're going to learn this morning that the only answer to sin is named Jesus. That no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you try to accomplish on your own, no matter how many times you wrap yourselves in fig leaves, there is one answer and one answer alone for the problem of sin, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the equation of sin. The answer for their sin is the same as it is for our sin and will continue to be the answer for anyone who comes after us. So if someone asks you what is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's Jesus. And I'm going to break that down for you very spe specifically here in a few moments. Because this is where I want to take a moment and discuss a common problem in the church. Are you ready? Do you love me? Because I'm about to mess up some of your theological idealism. I, I, I'm about to drag some of your sacred cows up here in front of God and everybody and slaughter them right here in front of you and God and everybody. Because I too once held these beliefs. I was once like you. Let me explain what I mean. The Bible moves from the Old Testament to the New Testament. However, a lot of churches and a lot of Christians never do. 
A lot of people know the stories about the Old Testament, and the stories of the Old Testament tell a version of God that we like to think is still God's relationship with us. The fire and brimstone God. The eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth version of God. The open up the earth and swallow some folks alive kind of God. The God who rains down poisonous snakes in the camp of his people that are only allowed to bite the gossips and the complainers. The God who is good to me as long as I'm being good. But he judges and condemns me when I fall short. We like to think that God is a distant, upset, offended, and is looking for an excuse to wipe his people out. But when I tell you that the birth of Jesus changed everything, I mean it changed everything. There was an agreement between Abraham and God. And that agreement had these if-then statements. God said, if you obey me, then I will bless you. If you offer the right sacrifice, then I will forgive your sin. If you follow me to where I tell you to go, then I will rain blessings on you. But when I tell you everything changed when Jesus was born, I mean everything changed. Because we have learned how to be law keepers. But Jesus came to complete the law. I have lived my Christian life afraid that if I made God angry, either he wouldn't love me anymore or he would do something terrible to me because I had a picture of a God who sits on a throne with a fistful of lightning bolts ready to spear me the first time that I get out of line. But the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faith came through Jesus Christ. This one sentence is the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because the agreement they had with God in the Old Testament made everybody fearful, made everyone distant from God. The, the Israelites told Moses one time that God's voice was so terrifying they never wanted to hear him speak again. No one loved the presence of God in the Old Testament except David and Moses. Everyone else fell on their face in front of him. Everyone else trembled in fear. They ran from God. Did you honestly believe that a God who loved you enough to create you, a God who loved you enough to sustain you, a God who loved you enough to sacrifice to get you here, wants you away from Him? Wants you distant from Him? No, James 4 and 8 says if we draw close to Him, He will draw close to us. But we have lived our Christian existence, or I won't talk about you, I'll just testify. I have lived my Christian existence for far too long believing in this Old Testament version of my father. Because most of the time it felt like I was hopelessly lost and there was nothing that I could do about it. But when I read the New Testament, I read about a new agreement and it makes it the statement through Jesus that says this, I love you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. God is looking over the balcony of heaven and he sees you in your turmoil and he sees you in your mess and he sees you in your dysfunction and he sees that you went about sexually the wrong way, you went about lying, you went about thieving, you went around deceiving and he says, I still love you and there ain't nothing you can do about it. For far too long I lived in existence where I felt like God was trying to find a reason to cast me aside. But the New Testament, the new agreement, said he's looking for every reason to draw us close to him. No if-then attached to it. No condemnation. No reason to run and hide at the sound of his voice. The Old Testament was thousands and thousands of years of the only hope you had to know God was to try to keep 630 separate laws. God gave Moses 630 different laws 
And the only way you could know God back then was to keep them all. And every time you broke one, which was a lot, you had to start the process all over again. Every time you would get certain uh, distance from God, you would fail Him and it would back you up and you'd have to start the process all over again. You follow the law because you're, you got good willpower or you're highly disciplined. That was what the Pharisees were. They were disciplined. You, you got to be willing to keep coming back and doing the same thing over and over and over. And when I first got saved and got into church, I felt like I had to get saved every Sunday. I'd lead the church and commit some sin, and I'd drag old Bessie back up to the front of the altar. I'd bring my sacrificial cow to church with me on Sunday, and I'd be dragging her right. Here I am, Lord. I'm in here again. I'm just an old weary sinner. I made mistakes again like God didn't know. So if you ever wonder why Jesus was so hated and despised by religious people, this is your answer. Because for thousands of years, these are the ways that your parents and your grandparents had tried to please God. Now Jesus comes along and starts making a claim that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And you can't get to the Father by dragging Bessie up to the front of the stage, by bringing the right sacrifice and saying the right prayers. He said, the only way you get to the Father is by me. This messed with people's religion, and by the way, it still does today. You know why? I'm going to tell you why. I'm glad you asked. Not only does it go against everything that they had ever been taught, but it seems way too easy. I grew up in an old church where you was judged not by the content of your character and not by the color of your skin either but by the length of your hair and your skirts. By how you dressed on Sunday. By how you presented yourself with outward adornment or the lack thereof. I grew up in the old church where they talked from the pulpit about women wearing jewelry and having their hair shorn and how the men were supposed to dress and how the women were supposed to dress. Most of the rules had to do with women. I never did figure that out. There's very little about men preached from the pulpit, but all the rules contained about how women were supposed to do this and how women were supposed to act and they were supposed to treat their husbands like this. And There was a whole lot of, 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 of rules and regulations about women. And the Old Testament saints were the same way. They had rules about wearing blended clothing. If you want to get real dogmatic, everybody in here is breaking God's Old Testament laws this morning. Unless you're all wearing solid wool tunics. And I can tell ain't none of you got wool undergarments on because you're not doing this. You weren't allowed to wear blended clothing. You couldn't eat selfish. No shrimp. You couldn't carry anything on the Sabbath because it was an undue burden. So you couldn't shave your beard. And when Jesus come along, he upset everything they had ever been taught. Because Jesus said, ain't none of that important for you to get to my Father. What's important is that you believe what I'm telling you. You mean we don't have to keep the law? You mean we don't have to follow the rules? You mean all that stuff that we've been doing since the days of Moses is not what's getting us into heaven? It was never getting them into heaven. All it did was keep them from hell. It never opened the gate of heaven. The good news 
is the New Testament where Jesus, who was God, wrapped himself in flesh, stepped over the barricade of heaven onto the dusty streets of Jerusalem, lived a sinless existence for 33 and a half years, died on a cross. They stretched him wide and they hung him high. He bled and he gave up his ghost and died. Not so he could get somewhere, but that we could get somewhere because heaven's gates opened for the first time and we were allowed access into heaven because God gave us Jesus. That's why the New Testament begins with the word gospel. That, that word literally means good news. It doesn't mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It literally means good news. No more if-thens. No, no, more, no more wondering if you please God or not. Because you know if you please God by accepting His Savior. In spite of everything God did to make Himself accessible to us, for some reason there are a lot of us that are just like the religious folk of Jesus' day. We still want the old agreement. We're still trying to live our lives every day trying to be good and not make God angry. We're still trying to earn His love. And the truth of us, the truth is, most of us feel safer when we have a set of rules to follow. Hello? Just tell me, preacher, what I'm allowed to do and what I'm not allowed to do. Why? You're going to do what you want to do anyway. <laughs> You're just going to do it now with a guilty conscience. <laughs> I ain't going to stop you from doing it if that's what you want to do anyway. Just tell me what I can do and what I can't do. Just tell me when I'm good and when I'm not good. But Jesus changed everything because it doesn't work that way anymore. Are you ready for this? Romans chapter 3. I told you I was going to get there. You thought I forgot. I know exactly where I am. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Help me with that second word, but now. What does he mean now? Talking about A.D., talking about the new agreement, the new covenant, the, the new that we're not in the Old Testament anymore, but now this is the new agreement. God has shown us a way to be made right with Him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. Say, everyone. Say, that's me too. Mm -hmm. uh, for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life, shedding His blood. And for that, you ought to give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Did you, did you see that? This is, why, this is why the religious folks hated Jesus. Because their parents and their grandparents and their ancestors and generations had been following rules that Jesus came along and says, those rules never got you holy. Those rules, the best they ever did was keep you out of hell. They never got you promoted to heaven. There is one way to heaven, and I'm him. Jesus changed everything. Let me tell you about my Jesus. This is not to say that we no longer have to follow any rules. Okay? This is not to say that there's nothing that we ever do that disappoints God. But what happened was this, and I'm going to preach the rest of my sermon based on this statement. We moved from ritual to relationship. The Old Testament was ritual. We have now moved into a state of relationship. What's the difference, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. When you know someone casually, you know their face, and you may have interaction with them, but you do it out of duty. 
I may hold the door for you and say, come on into the house of God. I don't know your name. I recognize your face. I'm going to smile at you because I feel obligated. But if I have a relationship with you, I see you struggling with your bags at your car. I leave the door. I come help you with your bags and say, here, John, let me help you carry your burden. What's the difference? Because when I do things out of ritual, I do them because I feel like it's a duty. When I have a relationship, I want to make your burdens lighter. I want to help you. I want to assist you. I want to move but th that will make whatever you're doing easier. And when I have a relationship with God, I don't serve him out of duty. I don't show up on Sunday and say, yes, God, I'll give you my tithes. Yes, God, I'll pray today. Yes, God, I'm reporting for duty and I'll be nice even though I really want to smack the taste out of his mouth. I'm going to grin my teeth and I'm going to bet. No, 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 no. When I have a relationship, I wake up every day saying, this is who I am. My identity is hidden in Christ Jesus. I represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When I talk, I want him words to come out of my mouth. When I love, I want to love like Jesus. When I treat folks bad, bad I want to repent and ask God to forgive me. Not because of who I am, but because of whose I am. I've moved into a relationship. So this is the story of Jesus coming to earth and presenting himself as a sacrifice. Jesus brought four things with him. When he came, he brought four things. Number one, he brought grace in place of guilt. Every person to your left, if you read Romans 3 with me, every person to your right, every person in front of you and behind you, they're all guilty. It said, we have all sinned, fallen short of his glorious. Yes, every one of us, all the people around you this morning, bunch of sinners. That church ain't nothing but a bunch of sinners. You got that right. But so's Walmart. So's the bank where you go to work every day. <laughs> We're all, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But those of us that know the Bible know that we ain't just sinners anymore. We have knowledge of a risen Savior, and we've been promoted, the Bible said, because our status is no longer sinner. Our status is now redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so this morning. So every person in this room is guilty. You're all guilty. You're, you have all committed enough treason for heaven to shut its doors forever and not feel sorry for you. You did it to yourself. But what Jesus brought was grace to give to you instead of your guilt. Because when the condemnation of the enemy tries to rain down on your head and bludgeon you spiritually to death, when the enemy of your soul tries to torment you and tell you that you're not good enough, you can square your shoulders and say, I know I'm not, but I know who was, and his grace is sufficient for my... And you don't have to feel guilty for what you have done. Number two, he brought something to believe in. In other words... He brought belief instead of behavior. Moses had behavior. They followed like soldiers in God's army. That's behavior. Jesus said, calm down. Just believe. J just believe. I'm going to give you something to believe in. Let me tell you about my Jesus. My Jesus comes to you when you ain't looking for him. My Jesus hunts you down and follows you into places he ain't got no business being in. Because he says this, I don't need you to be in church to get saved. 
I don't need you singing in the praise team choir in order for your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. Here's what I need. I need you to just believe. So when I stand at the coffin of someone and give a eulogy at a cemetery, somebody who ain't looking for Jesus comes face to face with something to believe in. And I don't have to drag them to the church house. You can go to work and testify to somebody and tell them about this Jesus. And you don't have to drag them to church on Sunday because he gives you something to believe in and you can believe in it in the morning you can believe in it in the noontime you can believe it in the night you can have cancer and believe in it you can have COVID and believe in it and you can believe in Jesus he gives you something he gives you relationship instead of rules number three he gives forgiveness enough These three dots is called an ellipsis. And I'm not an English major, but I've had to take a lot of English classes. And when that ellipsis there, it means something else is coming. He gives you forgiveness enough. Enough for what? For whatever you did. See, I'll offer you forgiveness, but I'm just going to be the only honest Christian in here this morning to tell you my, my forgiveness has limitations. Because I'll forgive you for something, and then I won't forgive you for it if you do it again. Y'all not going to help me, so I'll just testify. Y'all so holy. Let, pray for the bishop, because I ain't as holy as you are, because I have limitations on my forgiveness. You mess with me too many times, I'm liable to run slap out of forgiveness. Or I'll forgive my children for stuff that I won't forgive you. Y'all not going to help me. I'm just going to be uh, preaching to myself up here. I'll forgive my children for stuff that I won't forgive other people for. I'll hold them at a higher standard than I'll hold my spouse accountable because my forgiveness has limitations if you're in one political party you'll overlook stuff they do while you look at the other political party and condemn them for the same exact thing that your party did because your forgiveness has limitations but Jesus let me tell you about my Jesus it don't matter how many times you did it it doesn't matter how often you got out of it and fell back into it he has forgiveness enough to save you to cleanse you and to bring you up. You don't have to worry about him sending another flood because you messed up again. See, when we think about the crucifixion of Jesus, we think about his body up there being hung on a cross. But the Bible says his body wasn't the only thing hung up there that day. In fact, what was nailed to the cross that day took care of the world's biggest problem. Some of you be saying COVID, racial inequality, no. uh, homelessness. None of that is the world's biggest problem. People hating other people. No. Jesus took care of the biggest problem that has affected every person who's ever lived. S-I-N. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul takes time in Colossians to describe to us not just who died, but what died. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. You think we have a big debt in America because we owe China about $40 trillion? That doesn't compare to the massive sin debt that humanity owed since Adam and Eve. Sin had to be paid for. God demands that sin is paid for. Justice demands that no sin can go unpunished. So Jesus went to the cross that day with his body, but he also went to the cross with our sins. 
It was the debt of our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross, but at the same time, it was the power of God's forgiveness that nailed our sins there. Jesus did not die because he broke God's law. He died because we broke God's law. Which leads us to the fourth and final thing that Jesus brought with him. He brought the road map and the keys to heaven. See, before Jesus, the best we could hope for was to not go to hell. There wasn't any way for us to get where God was. Because he couldn't look at all that mess that we brought with us. Because even if you sacrificed down at the temple, you still weren't clean. You were ceremoniously clean, but morally still broken. Jesus came along and fixed the moral problem. I don't have time to get into that. Just accept with me this morning that Jesus changed everything. Whenever you leave this world, when you draw your last breath, you'll leave in one of two conditions. Either spiritually bankrupt or you're going to be paid in full. There is no in-between. And you don't have to, when you stand in front of the Father at the judgment seat, you don't have to be nailed by your sins because Jesus was already nailed for your sins. People think God is soft and tender when we read the New Testament because we see His reflection in Christ. And we think that God is meek and doesn't expect anything from us anymore. But can I remind you, God's nobody to play with. The Bible says mountains bow down at the sound of His name. The Bible says darkness runs and hide from him. My God in heaven. The Bible says that even the angels in his throne room, and may I remind you how bad these dudes are. I mean, these angels are so bad that they killed 187,000 Assyrians in one night. These angels are so bad that when they said, uh, uh, holy, 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 the doors of heaven's temple shook off of its place. Do you know how much you got to praise to get the doors of the tabernacle to shake off the roots and these angels were able to shout down the doors but at the same time they covered their eyes because they didn't want to look at God because he is so powerful you don't want to mess with one of his angels you surely don't want to mess with the one who sits on the throne and that's why Jesus came but I got to ask you before I let you go are you still living like he never did Are you still trying to earn God's love? Are, are you still judging your relationship with God based on what you've done instead of what Jesus has done? Because this is the problem that we have. This message is a big deal because this message is what makes you a Christian. You're not a Christian because you come to church on Sunday. You're not a Christian because you memorize some scriptures or because you love people or because you said some prayers. What makes a person a Christian is believing in this story. Jesus was born. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He did not stay that way. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession. And as long as I put my faith in what He did and not in what I have done, He is going to welcome me into that kingdom when I meet Him. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Uh-huh. Because. Why? Because I went to church? Nope. Because I taught a class in the nursery? Nope. Because I said three amens and did a holy... Nope. The reason I'm saved is because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Can I just say that after the past year and a half, I doubt too many of us have been living with great expectation. A lot of us would describe this last season we've gone through as just trying to hold on. Just trying to keep our head above water. Would somebody help me and, and say amen or oh me? I'm, I'm not saying uh, I've had great expectations all the time. Sometimes I felt like I was just trying to keep my head above water. You know why? Because most of us struggle with what we see. Most of us struggle with what's going on around us. The chaos that we encounter determines how much we envision the future.
That's why Peter is telling us to put our expectation in one thing. Not in your job, not in your retirement plan, not in what house you live on and what street you're able to find a loan for. He says put your expectation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know why? Everything else is transient. Everything else is fluctuating. It's up one day and down the next. The Dow Jones is in, it's out, it's upside down. The COVID numbers are here, they're there. I've got a very good friend right now on life support because of COVID. I, 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 every day I question God, why is Pastor Ring going through what he's going through? I haven't got an answer for that. But I know that if I put my faith in, in ventilators or, or if I put my faith in, in hospitals or the CDC, that it's going to be up, down, sideways, and all around. That's why Peter says put your faith in the resurrection hope that Jesus Christ has resurrected and because that's never going to change. They can't vote him out. They can't usurp his authority. They can't drag him down off his throne. He is the great I am. He is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He is coming back for his bride and nothing can stop him. So Matthew Henry uses a phrase that I've referred to many times in my ministry. The same heat of the sun that melts wax hardens the clay. In other words, the reaction to what's going on around you is predicated on the quality of the material you're made out of. The same sun that hardens the clay made the wax soft. One person will go through hell and come out hard, while another person goes through the exact same mess and comes out softened. It has nothing to do with the power of the sun. It's an indication of the quality of the substance. You can put two people in the exact same environment and everybody will respond differently. Everybody in this room, if you've been with me any time at all, you've heard me quoted a million times, you know Romans 8 and 28. Good things happen to those who love the Lord and are the, say that word out loud, the called according to His purpose. The, the, the called. And there's a lot of good preaching there. The problem is a lot of times we stop right there and we don't realize the Bible keeps going. We know all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are the, the called. But read verse 29. For God knew His people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And verse 30 says, And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. Who are the called? This describes who the called are. God knew his people in advance. He chose them to be like his son. And once he chose them, he called them. The, Jesus said on the mount, my sheep know my voice. It, he never said they hear my voice. He said they know my voice. Why does his sheep know his voice? Because he's been calling to your deep. He's been calling you when you wasn't trying to listen to him. Jesus changed everything. God would send Micah out to the mountainside and Micah would look over the valley of Agilon where Joshua made the sun stand still and he would proclaim death and destruction is coming. He called Amos out of the fig picker's field and he says, Amos, you're going to go and tell my people that destruction is on the way. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, stood on the hillside and cried over Jerusalem because he knew what was about to befall them. Ezekiel saw the wheel inside the wheel and assumed that the armies of Assyria and Midianites were going to overrun Judah and Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem and he was crying and he was mournful and scornful and all the prophets obeyed God and they marched out and they proclaimed destruction, destruction, destruction. But let me tell you about my Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't call you into destruction. He calls you when you ain't looking for him into redemption. He said, my sheep know my voice. So when he called you, he called you because he wanted to disrupt the way you were living. He, he wasn't calling you so he could leave you there so the enemy could overtake you. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is Jesus is saying, I love you so much that I'm not going to allow you to stay where you've been doing what you're doing. I've got a better plan because the Bible said he knew you before you knew him. He knew you before he called you. He has seen what you can become. If you just get out of that life and walk a different way, he knows what you could be. So Jesus calls you. Come. He calls what's his. He calls what's his. Why are you here? What made you give up a Sunday morning to come to church? What makes a single woman give up a man that's in her bed for a man she can't see? What makes you give up being high for the Holy Ghost? Because he calls what's his. He calls what is his. Paul Marino, would you come up here and stand right here? Turn around and face the crowd. Let everybody see your pretty face. This is pretty Paul. You know why he came up here? Because I called him. You know why everybody else in here didn't come? Because I didn't call them. I called one person. And out of this crowd, one person responded to the call. Because he's the one I was after. But what he don't know and what you don't know is that before I called him, I had predestined that he was going to be the one that I spoke to. I predestined for him to be far enough away that you was going to get to see him walk all the way up here and obey my commands and present himself to the rest of you as somebody who was called by me. Y'all not going to help. And now I have him on display in front of all of you as a testimony that this is what it looks like when you hear the call and you obey the call and you get positioned by the call and now everybody in here gets to see what he does when he follows the call. And you didn't know it and he didn't know it, but before we got to church this morning, I already knew that if Paul Marino is sitting where he always sits, I'm going to use him in this illustration because I predestined for him to be here. What does that mean for me, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. That means the hell that you've been going through didn't take God by surprise because he knew you was going to be put in the situation that you've been in. And he called you out of it and put you in the middle of it. And he said, you're going to be on display for how to handle this because I call you to endure. I call you to survive. I call you to prosper. And I put you in front of everybody as a display of what happens when you answer my call. Thank you. So let me tell you about my Jesus. That means he reveals mysteries to you. He's called you. Because he's disrupting your life. And do you want to know why? Do, do, do you want to know why? Because God refuses to allow you to get comfortable in a location 
that is lower than your destiny. So every time you try to settle for less, He calls you. He calls you. Come to me. You were created for better than this. I just feel this in my, I, just, I feel this in the Indian. Listen, listen, that means there's people in your life that couldn't resist being in your life. And there's other people you wanted to hold on to that are now gone because they couldn't stay. You know why? Because God was calling you. There's a reason you didn't get that job. There's a reason that relationship didn't work out. There's a reason that you didn't buy that house on that street in that school district. There's a reason all that happened because God was calling you. You may not have heard it. You may not have sensed it. You may not have known it. But God was not going to let you settle for something that was beneath your destiny. He's got something better for you. And there's a reason that all that other stuff didn't work out for you. Because you have been shortchanging yourself. You have been accepting far too little for yourself. And God won't let you get sad in a destiny that is lower than what he created you for. So he keeps calling you to great, calling you to great, calling you to great. And the people that came into your life couldn't resist, and everybody who walked out couldn't stay. So stop grieving over it. Stop crying over it. You can't get back what he never let you have. Look at your neighbor and say, everybody couldn't do what you do. Uh-huh. Everybody couldn't do what you do because you called for that. Everybody couldn't live in that house. Everybody couldn't raise them kids. Everybody couldn't be married to him. Everybody couldn't stay married to her. But you can do it because you were called to that. And by the way, he don't even need a church. He don't need a praise band. He don't need a preacher. He'll call people out of a club. He'll call folks out of a dope house. I've seen him call people out of the clutches of cancer. Cancer was percussed over their, their name. They were told what stage they was in. And God called them right out of cancer into healing because God calls what's his. And I got to believe that in a room this size, somebody's been... Somebody's being called. Let me tell you about my Jesus. It don't matter what you've done to get to this point. All that matters is how you respond to this call. He's calling what's his. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. No, he does. And he's still here. He makes a way where there ain't no way. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong. And his grace is free. And the good news is, I know that he will do for you what he's done for me. Let me tell you about my Jesus and let my Jesus change your life. We already got people coming up here because they're responding to this call. He's still calling somebody. Won't you come? When you leave this room, you're going to run to something anyway. And you're either going to run to Jesus or you're going to run to another God, but you're going to run to something. If I was you, I would want to run to something that's going to give me eternal life. Victory over sin. Victory over death and destruction and sickness and torment. This is your opportunity. I'm going to ask everybody in this room, if you would, to stand to your feet. Do you feel the call this morning to come? Do you feel the call? Do you feel the call? Don't wait. There may not be another opportunity. 